This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to Five on Three, WFUV's podcast for all things NHL and hockey. I am Sam Borer, joined today by Tyler Mooney and Colin Lochran in the wake of a very, very exciting finish to the hockey season as the Avalanche have won over the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games to become this year's Stanley Cup champions. But before we dive too deep into that, how are we today, guys? I'm doing well, Sam. Obviously, congratulations to you and all the Colorado Avalanche fans out there. It was a a great finals, definitely in my opinion, one of the better finals that we've had in the last few years, at least that I can remember. And uh, it's good to see a a passionate fan base and a great hockey town like Denver get a Stanley Cup championship. It's been 20, what, 20 years for them, 21 years for them. So uh, it it was great to watch and, and congratulations. Yeah, definitely. Congratulations to you, Sam. I mean, this series was much better than what we had last year, in my estimation, with the ragtag Canadians and the the mighty lightning, but really you got to love how this series wound up going. The better fan base got the cup. In my opinion, they'd waited for it for so long. They weren't spoiled at this point. I like seeing patient people get rewarded. And as far as I'm concerned, abs fans are pretty patient at this point. Yeah. 21 years of patience. My entire lifespan has uh, paid off to this moment. I mean, I'm sure you two saw the video that I posted on my uh, Instagram and that I had circulating various social medias of me jumping up and down alone in my basement because like I was last week, I do have COVID. So I sadly couldn't go celebrate with all my friends downtown or go to the watch party, but not to say that it was still an incredibly exciting moment, very rewarding for all Avs fans. I will just say, I do think it's very funny. I had a number of people texting me congratulations like I was the one on the ice. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'm so glad that I contributed so much to uh, this team this year. But I guess the first thing I have to ask is, Tyler, you conceded a little bit last week, but Colin, are you ready to say Samantha was right yet finally or no? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when, when you lift the cup, I'm definitely ready to say you were right. I, for one, thought that Tampa Bay was going to take control of the series at a certain point. Now, I was right in that Vasilevsky did steal them a game, but yeah, it became clear that the Avs were the much more healthy team at a certain point and really just much better constructed to win this specific cup final. I mean, there were times where McKinnon and McCarr just slashed through the ozone and you watch it go, yeah, they're, they're tired, they're out of breath. Tampa Bay looks old. And quite frankly, Colorado looks like a team that's ready to do what Tampa Bay just did. So, yeah, you were most definitely right on your pick. In terms of long-term outlook, I mean, I know the season just ended, but you got to like where you are. Kale McCarr is very, very young. McKinnon's no slouch. He's not that old either. So maybe run it back. Yeah. I think, aren't they the, the, I mean, the way too early odds has Colorado as the favorites to win next year. You never put too much stock into that, but they are a team that's built not just for, you know, maybe a one and done run like Montreal last year. This Colorado team is going to be here for a while. And Sam was definitely right. Colin, you were also correct that vast left you were. steel game. Me and Sam both had Colorado in that. And to be honest, Tampa probably didn't have much business winning game five, but Vasilevsky 
completely stood on his head. And the two goals that he gave up really weren't his fault, especially that Makar tying goal is just just bad luck. That one hit like three things and then went into the net. Um, but there was just no way, even just the way that the effort that it took for Tampa to win that game five and the way they won it, it still felt like there was no way that they were going to be able to pull off three straight against this Colorado team. And the Avs, I mean, got to give credit to them, especially in game six, literally every single aspect of their team was functioning at the highest level, especially the defense and the goalie. It's always been offense all year for Colorado. So it was nice to see in the clinching game, the defense, especially in the third period is really what stepped up. I absolutely agree. I mean, we obviously had our superstars step up, which was what we said. And I said on one-on-one this past weekend, what needed to happen. And what we've all been saying is that Nathan McKinnon needed to be on in order for them to win this series and especially to win game six. And he was, I mean, scored the first goal of the night and he was incredible in that game. You could just tell how hungry he is and how much he's wanted it. And I mean, there was that quote last year where he said, I've been doing this for nine years and I haven't won insert expletive here that I'm not allowed to say on this podcast, but now he has, um, which is incredible. And I mean, they earned it. I think that the difference maker in this series or in that game six rather was Darcy Kemper playing at a higher level than I think he has for a lot of the regular season slash this post game, this uh, postseason. sorry. But I mean, I think that honestly people underestimated him and discredited him and even after they won. I mean, I'm the first to admit that I was skeptical of him. Like I'm not trying to pretend like I'm some perfect angel fan by any means, but I think that people were focusing so much on how good Vasilevsky is and how Pavel Francois does have a higher save percentage than Kemper in the overall. But I mean, Kemper only lost four games this postseason, right? So I feel like we have to give credit where credit is due. Yeah, Kemper is a huge reason for the Avs' success. I remember we were talking in the series preview about the goaltending situation in Colorado. We were all kind of in agreement that if the Avs were going to win this series, it would have to be Kemper. There was no way you were going to send Francois in there and have him be the guy that brought you the promised land. And that's not a knock on Francois. I think it's just when you're going up against someone like Vasilevsky and a team like the Lightning – even those chip shots can go in. So you need someone that's kind of been around the block. Kemper had his days in Minnesota, was in the postseason before. Francois, a little bit more wet between the ears. So in, in that sense, really, I got to tip my cap to, to Kemper. When you only lose four games, you deserve to get a whole lot of praise for your team's success. Yeah, he definitely did everything that, you know, they needed him to do, I think. I also, I mean, I'm not the biggest Darcy Kemper fan, I think. Even in points in the series, games four, he let in a few weak goals. Game five, that first goal was really bad. Can't let that one up. But at the end of the day, when you're playing in front or behind, excuse me, such a a talented team like Colorado, you don't need to necessarily stand on your head. And I think game six was the perfect example of that. It's not like Darcy Kemper was being peppered with shots, but when there were those big opportunities for the Lightning, he stood tall. I mean, think about the third period. There were, I think Tampa only got two or three shots, but those were high quality chances. You had the Kucherov one time or late in the third, that was Kemper had to come across, make a really good save there. And also, you know, when you're not getting peppered with shots and you only have to make a few saves per period, if they're the really high quality chances, that's difficult for a goalie to stop. I feel like we hear all the time how when a goalie is coming in fresh or, or it's a big game, they almost want to face a bunch of shots early so they can get into it and get a feel for the puck. So 
I think a lot of people just at first glance will say, oh, he played in front or he played behind. God, I keep doing that. He played behind like one of the best teams maybe ever assembled. We can look back at this Colorado team and, oh, he didn't have to do that much, but he definitely played a very important role. And it's not always that easy, especially as a goalie, you know, going through long stretches where you're not really involved in the play. So I think Darcy Kemper absolutely has to get a ton of credit for this. Absolutely. And I mean, that third period, like you said, was, I think, one of the most perfect periods the Avalanche have ever played. If you just look at how strong they were offensively, how much they were able to clog the neutral zone, their defense, the fact that Tampa Bay was only able to get like two or three shots in 20 minutes of play. I mean, that is spectacular, especially when you go back to, was it game five that the abs were being outshot like 17 to four in the first period or whatever it was, that was that crazy, crazy number. So we have to look at that. The abs are now three for three in Stanley cup final appearances and Stanley cup final wins, which is a incredible with a hundred percent success rate. So that's not bad, but I have to ask, I mean, injury report for Tampa Bay has come out. Now we see that that entire roster was just decrepit by the time we got to the end of the finals, people were fighting through torn quads, torn ligaments, broken fingers, uh, sprained ankles, dislocated shoulders. Do you think that if the Tampa Bay roster had been as healthy as even the majority of the avalanche roster, because I mean, we obviously had our things. I mean, Valnachushkin couldn't get his skate on without medical assistance for game six. His foot was black and blue. We have obviously Sam Gerard was out long-term Nazem Kadri. Obviously his finger was not a hundred percent healed. He put a six week recovery into two weeks. Do we think that if that roster had been, let's say 80% healthier in the finals, it would have gone differently or would it have ended up the same, Colin? I still think you're looking at six or seven games. I don't know if – it's so hard to say if Tampa Bay could have actually won this series in retrospect. Hindsight is 2020 now knowing that injury report, but we knew they were beaten up. We knew they were old. And when I say old, I don't mean an age purely. I just mean that you've done this – this was your third go. Like you're old in that sense. You've been around the block, right? Even Pat Maroon, like I'm still going to have to get used to him not being a Stanley Cup champion this year. Like, that's going to be a little <laughs> bit strange for hockey fans. I, I, I don't know. I think it could have went seven if they were healthy. I don't think they necessarily lose a game six in Tampa Bay if they're healthy, just knowing how that team is assembled and knowing the type of intensity that John Cooper wants to instill into his team. Uh, it could go either way. I mean, if the defensemen were, I'll say this much, if the defense on Tampa Bay was more healthy, then I would say, yes, certainly game seven would have happened. Then anything can go. But to to me, the forwards were going to be the forwards. That's those guys are used to being battered and bruised. It's the defense that really needs to be healthy when these type of games arise. That way they're not shying away from blocking the puck on one timers, not shying away from making uh, hard plays on the forecheck, things like that. So to me, if the defensemen were a little bit more healthy, guys like McDonough, uh, if that's the case, Hedman as well. I know he was a little bit battered and bruised there towards the end. If that's the case, then yes, we're looking at a game seven. And I don't know if they would have won, but I think maybe you squeeze that one last game of the series. Yeah, it's an interesting hypothetical. I don't know. It's tough to it's tough to say because obviously, I mean, Braden Point, how on earth did he play a single game past the first round on a on a major tear in his quad? That's just incredible that he was able to walk 
much less play in a Stanley Cup final game. And you just go down the list of all these injuries, Kucherov, McDonough. These are some big players for Tampa. But at the end of the day, everyone at the point of the Stanley Cup final is banged up. Yes, did Tampa maybe have, you know, more injuries than a normal team? Yes, it seems so. I think there were maybe even some injuries that were left off the report. I didn't see, at least the article list that I saw, I didn't see Eric Chernak listed, but he was clearly struggling throughout the second half of that series, especially. Um, there was one point, I believe it was game six, where Tampa had like four defensemen, three defensemen. They, they had two guys get hurt within like a 15-second span. So obviously that's going to affect the way you're playing, especially as you get later in the series. And as you said, Colin, the defense – especially because they're playing more minutes. There's not as many of them. They're blocking the shots. They're getting hit more uh, as they're in retrieving pucks. So that's going to play a toll, but I don't know. I feel like to say that, oh, if Tampa had been healthy, they would have won is just, it's not giving the avalanche the credit that they deserve. And I guess we'll never really know. I don't want to come out and give an answer either way, but um, it definitely played a a role. I, I will say that. I absolutely agree. I mean, it's, it's always hard when your stars are injured, no matter what. I mean, we were obviously devastated about Nazem Kadri going out and then let's talk about like poetic justice. I mean, him coming back and scoring the game winning goal of uh, game four, whatever game it was. I don't know. It all kind of blends at a certain point. Um, But I mean, poetic justice, we've touched on that already, but still, um, so I guess, I mean, this is a little bit of an out of the box question, but like, how much does it just suck to be Corey Perry right now? Like three years in the finals, three different teams, three losses, two of them to Tampa Bay. Then he's on the lightning and then he loses to the abs. I mean, there's not really like an actual answer to this. I just felt like we had to bring it up because that is just so painful, even though I'm not a huge Corey Perry fan individually, but like. Buddy's hitting some tough luck right now. So he's going to be on the abs next year, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's definitely, definitely going to happen. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, just how do you have that bad of luck? I mean, oof. Starting yeah. to make the Rangers look lucky. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't feel bad for him at all. He's a dirty. <laughs> I think he's a dirty player. Ooh. And he already, he's already won a cup. So Spicy. He's already won. If he hadn't won and he'd lost three straight, I'd be like, okay, that, that's unfortunate. But he got his ring. This isn't Henrik Lundqvist or Joe Thornton losing three straight Stanley Cups. This is, he's already won. So I guess it's, yeah, it's crazy that that happened. What is that? That's the first time in NHL history. In NHL history. Osa <laughs> lost two straight and then went to Chicago and won. I wonder if that's happened in any other of the major sports. The players lost three straight on three different teams. Probably oh, not. yes, it has, oh, it has actually. Well, I don't know if it was three, but I know it's happened with two. Jim Kelly with the Bills here in New York, ah. Buffalo in the Super Bowl. I'm thinking, I'm thinking bad. like uh, three different teams, though. Oh, one player. Some of those Bills players teams? lost four straight. Yikes. <laughs> that was four. That was Jim yeah. Kelly's with yeah. four. Right. So I'm wondering, has in any other sport, has a player switch three i wish we had a live producer right now that could look this up i know three. right yes, can, i'm gonna look it up and i'll get back do to it. you guys get back to us of the, of the podcast. <laughs> do it please in the meantime i mean there are some avalanche players that have been waiting so long to hoist the stanley cup i mean let's talk about jack johnson let's talk about gabe landeskog eric johnson as a matter of fact which it made me very excited to finally see them hoisting the cup but 
a lot of these people that were key players for the abs to win are free rate free agents at the end of this season. I know we're not getting too much into free agency in this episode, but just as a quick overview, I guess the free agents at the end of this season are now Andre Burakovsky, Nazem Kadri, Darcy Kemper, Josh Manson, Val Nichushkin, Arturi Lekkinen, Ryan Murray, Abe Kubel, Cogliano, Helm, Jack Johnson, and the list just goes on and on and on. There's a lot of people that are free agents now at the end of this season for the Avs. So I guess I'm not getting too ahead of ourselves with the free agency talk, but looking at this roster and just how immaculately it was constructed by the front office, who do we think is the main or who are the main components rather that the Avs have to sign again if they want another run at the cup? In my opinion, it's Val Nichushkin, Nazem Kadri. I think that they have just been, well, Nichushkin, especially in the last round, just so absolutely influential, making a bit of a run for the con Smythe. I mean, not, he was never realistically going to win it probably unless he scored some game winning goal, but still putting his all into it, walking away with a number of points. I mean, obviously Burkowski, not like he's not doing anything. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Because this is going to be a tough conversation for Joe Sackick and the front office this season. I would put Lankinen on that list, honestly. Oh, I just yes. really like what he brings to the table. I'd say him and Kadri would be my two picks. Obviously, I don't watch the Avalanche quite as closely. Uh, but just knowing what I what I do know about those two guys, I think they're very tough on the forecheck. I think in that conference specifically, you're going to need that if you're going to consistently compete the way that you've been doing. Because what it allows is for guys like McKinnon and Marcard to really just kind of cut through that neutral zone. I mean, especially like towards the end of the playoffs in the Western Conference Final, there were times where he was reminding me of like Reeves-esque physicality. Now, I know that's not necessarily a great comparison because Lankin is a better scorer, better puck handler, all that type of stuff. But just in terms of what he brings to the table, I, I would be hesitant to let him go. Yeah, he definitely has a lot of tools that help a team win. He's now made the finals two straight years, scored the winning goal to go to the finals two straight years. So that that's incredible. But I agree, Sam, that Kadri and, and Nichushkin sh- should be the top priorities. I'm not – I mean, I'm looking on cap friendly real quick, and it says the ads have $25 million in cap space. So that, that's a lot. They obviously do have a lot of players to sign, and you have Nathan McKinnon becoming a free agent next year, so he's – going to be making more than $6.3 million. I think that's safe to say. So you have to factor that in. Um, I'm wondering if Nachushkin, I feel like he may have played himself out of the abs price range hmm. just because he it, like he had such an incredible postseason. And that's the kind of player it, it's giving me heavy Matt Bolesky vibes. I wonder if you remember this, Colin. I remember Matt Bolesky. It was a 2015 playoffs and he had like, the craziest playoffs ever. I think he scored like 13, 14 goals, maybe a little less, but he had a great playoffs for the Ducks. And I was like, the Rangers need to sign him. This is who we need. We need playoff goal score. And the Bruins gave him a fat yeah. contract. And that was an awful, awful contract. I think we're used to those. I think he played more games in the minors than they did in the NHL. Not saying that that's what's going to happen to the Chushkin. I don't think the Chushkin's is going to go somewhere and completely stink it up. But I feel like he is going to have so many suitors just seeing the way that he rose to the occasion in the playoffs. Um, so I don't know if 
they'll be able to keep him and Kadri. It might be one or the other, which in that case, I mean, that would be a really difficult decision. Maybe Kadri is a little more valuable just because he's a center. But um, the Avs definitely have a lot of difficult choices to make. But the $25 million in cap is good, and they have some pretty reasonable contracts. I mean, McKinnon's obviously going to be making more than 6.3, but I think there's been – like a culture established in Colorado where I don't think McKinnon's going to go and demand to be the highest played, paid player in the NHL, which he, I mean, he could if he wanted to. You have Landis Gog at $7 million, That's pretty reasonable. Rantanen, just over $9 million, That's also really reasonable for what, if, what he plays at his peak. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Avs do this summer. I mean, they have a lot of choices, but if I – Joe Sackick is pretty high on the list of GMs that I would trust to find the replacements. Obviously, when you win a cup, any team is never going to be the same team from year to year. It's just impossible. But when you win a cup especially, there's going to be just more of a target and more of a draw for other teams to try and sign the players that are free agents off that team. Look at what's happened to Tampa Bay the last few years. So it's going to be really tough for the Avs to bring all these players back. But I trust Joe Sackick for to, to fill the holes in the lineup that, that could be left in free agency. Absolutely. And then I guess we've we've now talked a lot about the Avs, which I know is because rightfully of my own so. bias, but rightfully well, they so did they're win the a champions. Cup, like, yeah. <laughs> they're the champions. To I guess now touch a little bit on the Tampa Bay side at least. We have for them free agents at the end of this year, Palat, Paul, Jan Ruda, those at least Nash. I feel like those are some pretty big names for them, especially Palat, because, I mean, we were giving him a run at the Conn Smythe, right, when we were like, if Tampa wins, he could definitely have a shot because he was so instrumental in this offseason. So, I mean, if Tampa Bay wants to be the comeback kids, who is their top priority? For me, it's Palat. I think that he's just been so powerful in this offseason and he's been such a heavy scorer that I feel like they have to bring him back. I mean – I don't know what they're going to do otherwise, Colin. Yeah, it's definitely Palat. I mean, 49 points in the regular season, 21 points in the playoffs. Career in the playoffs, the guy has 94 points. He is the type of player that helps your culture, and I think he's one of the reasons that Tampa Bay has been so successful. Yeah, you could say the same thing about Ruda, great defenseman, whatever, but and I don't say that. I say that facetiously, of course. Ruda's a good player in his own right, but if I'm the Tampa Bay front office, it's, it's Palat. No one really brings that level of explosiveness like he does. As long as you have the pieces around him still, I mean, I think Hedman will be back, Vasilevsky will be back, guys of this sort. You need to focus on bringing back people that help continue the culture, right? There's been examples of this in sports for years, right, where the team might have a little bit of a fall off, but if you keep guys that represent what your team is about, what your culture is about, you're always going to be around the championship. You're always going to be in contention. To me, Palat is one of those players. I mean, he's getting up there in age, maybe a little bit. I, I, he's 31. The legs start to get tired after 30, typically in all sports. But uh, if he wants a longer term deal, I would give it to him just based on the fact that he's been there for you for those two cup wins and the other cup run. So in my mind, he's the guy. Yeah. I mean, Tampa would obviously want to bring a guy like Palat back. They're I, I, Palat, I think it's the same thing could honestly happen with him that's happened with Nichushkin, but maybe even a little bit more deservedly so just because Palat has done it for way longer. I mean, the guy, just in the last two rounds, he scored three game-winning goals, two 
in the final minutes against the Rangers than the one in game five and just like what, six minutes left versus Colorado. So not only does he perform in the playoffs, not only is he a winner, but he provides the most clutch goals. And, and that's something that all 31 other teams are going to pay a pretty penny for. So I just don't think Tampa Bay is going to be able to keep him unless they do some kind of, you know, cap gymnastics and make some trades, which, you know, Tampa, they clearly can do it. So we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. But uh, it says they're over the cap right now. And that's without Palat, Paul, none of these guys on the books. So I think Palat is going to get, I mean, five up. I think five is the minimum. He'll probably get, if he hits free agency, I could see him getting over $6 million a year. So I just don't think Tampa Bay is going to be able to resign him, but um, they should definitely try. I'm not going to be pissed if they don't. The whole <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anyone playing against Tampa Bay would be uh, too upset about that one. And then we're going to keep this episode nice and short. But before we go, I just want to acknowledge Kale McCarr as the powerhouse that he is. Gabe Landeskog said at the end, they asked him in the post-game interview, they said, what is your advice? Obviously, hockey is a copycat sport. What's your advice to other teams? And he said, find yourself a Kale McCarr. And I mean, let's talk about it. He is the Hobie Baker, winner of the Norris, the Conn Smythe, the Stanley Cup in his first three years of his NHL career. He is 23 years old. He is a baby. He is merely a couple of years older than us, about a year older than Colin, which is pretty crazy. Where, where does he go from here? Does he become the greatest defenseman of all time? Maybe. I mean, he's on track to right now, so... I don't know, but if I'm Adam Fox, I'm a little bit angsty sitting over there with the new contract on 34th Street. I mean, that's got to really be a little bit shaky if you're Adam Fox right now. Tyler, you can speak to this as well as Rangers fan. The type of praise that Kale McCarr is currently getting was going to Adam Fox this time last year. It wasn't like McCarr was a scrub. No one ever said that. The guy might go on to be one of, if not the greatest defenseman of all time. But if I'm Adam Fox right now, I'm thinking to myself, man, I really have to step it up in, I don't know what way specifically I'd have to really sit down and analyze it, but just what McCarr is able to do for that team is so unique. He's a great two-way player as is Fox, but that that's the whole thing is McCarr was able to elevate his game on the greatest stage. Other defensemen, especially the young defensemen, McAvoy's in there too. I'm not letting you off the hook, Charlie. Everyone's <laughs> got to be, thinking in that vein now that's the guy you're measuring yourself against and for how young he is that's remarkable yeah I mean he's just incredible it's crazy because it feels like Fox and and McCarr is going to go back and forth one-upping each other you had McCarr beat out Fox for the Calder the rookie year I think I don't even think Fox got nominated which I think a lot of people were saying that was a pretty big snub so what did Adam Fox do he went and won the Norris the next year well, Kevin McCarr, now he won the Norris, and he was like, I'm going to add a Stanley Cup and a Consumite on top of that. So we'll have to see how the other young defensemen in the league respond next year. But, yes, Kevin McCarr is definitely um, the, the pole that you're marking yourself against, not only for young defensemen in this league, but for, for all defensemen and really all players. He, he just showed an insane ability to take over games on both ends. And it's – I mean – I want to say it's only up from here. I don't know how much further up you can get. He just won like every single trophy imaginable <laughs> that a defenseman could win. 
But um, yeah, he definitely ha- has an insane future ahead. And I can't even imagine if he's not, I mean, he still has so much time to grow and develop. And it, yeah, he, he could definitely, and if he continues on this path down, he he'll, will easily be a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greats the game has ever seen. But definitely a lot of, a lot of time between now and then. So hopefully Kale can keep it up. Absolutely. I hope he can. Like you said, he will be the benchmark for all defensemen and for a lot of players now heading into the future. I'm really excited to see next season how Adam Fox comes back with a vengeance trying to beat his buddy uh, in the defenseman world because I I can't help but feel there's got to be a little bit of friendly rivalry between those two, like personally. I'm, I'm sure it's all nice, not trying to put any drama out there, but I uh, I can imagine there are some some words exchanged, very friendly fire, of course, but that will do it for us this week on, wait, Tyler, wait, 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 we are not ending this podcast without just at least recognizing the, the, the cup being dented. Oh, like a crazy amount. You know what? (laughs) Yes. The picture, first off, they (laughs) dropped when they dropped it. Like that was funny. I, I, some people will be be sticklers about it. I think it's hilarious. Like they want it. It's their trophy now. Like who cares? It'll get fixed. But there was a picture of someone was hoisting it when they got off the plane in Denver and it looked like it had been dropped again. Like the whole right side yeah. was uh, was like just not a circle. <laughs> so I, we had to mention that. That was You're so right. funny. My bad. My bad. How do you drop the like really you played all year for this <laughs> thing and you're going to like you got to handle it very carefully. Yeah. It's fragile, man. You don't want to be dropping that everywhere. It's a historic trophy. It's Lord Stanley's <laughs> Cup. I got this meet it at Yankee Stadium. I said meet it as if it's a living person. Meet it. (laughs) The picture where he's like in the process of dropping it, Nicholas Obey Kubel, and literally all the Avs players, it looks like he's dropping a baby. That's what their faces look like. That picture. I can't believe this. That picture is, I think, one of the greatest photographs besides the one of Eric Johnson and Nathan McKinnon hugging on the ice. or Gabe Landeskog and Eric Johnson crying. I think that that picture is definitely in my top three of photos to come out of this here Stanley Cup win because for everyone who hasn't seen it, I highly recommend that you go on Twitter and look it up and take the time to zoom in on every single person's face because I can guarantee it will give you the heartiest laugh. And apparently the Avalanche have now broken a record for the fastest team to dent the cup. Uh, that is what was officially told by the NHL they were the first team to dent the cup before they even got off the ice. So personally, I think it's hilarious and very fitting for what is essentially this group of 20 year olds who are maybe a little bit older than they would be in college, who have just won the greatest trophy in all of professional sports and now just get to drink beer out of it for the next few months while it's in their possession. So I think that you're right, Tyler. I apologize for just skipping (laughs) over that very hefty part of uh, history that we have just (laughs) observed. Anything else before we go? So I don't leave anything out this time. Just had to get the dent in. That was it. Okay. You're right. And it was funny. And it was funny. The pictures are incredible. The pictures of that party afterwards in the locker room. I mean, everyone should also go look up the photos of Val Nichushkin. I don't think I've ever seen a happier man in my entire life than that man riding on a little dolly back to the locker room. So 
that will do it for us this week on five on three WFUV's podcast for all things hockey. We'll be back next week for another episode, but for now, everyone, I hope you have a great afternoon and a great rest of your week for Colin Locker and Tyler Mooney. I am Samantha Bohr saying so long five on three is a production of WFUV sports.